Hey everybody and welcome to Sebastopol Christian Church. We're coming at you with a new format and we're really excited about it because this format allows us to be able to uh, bring you church to you uh, more than just once on Sunday when we live stream. We can bring church to you now at our regular church times at both 9 o'clock and 1040 on Sunday mornings and also at 6 o'clock p.m. on Sunday night. So whatever time is more convenient for you, that's great. Also, during the week, we're going to be bringing church to you with another message and worship, and we're going to call it Full Throttle Thursdays. Don't you love that name? Full Throttle Thursdays. So let's get right into today's message. If you're watching us, if you're new to the Sebastopol Christian Church family, this is great, and we want to welcome you, and we hope that this is going to be a safe place for you to explore the Christian faith together with us, because as we learn to follow Jesus, we're going to find out that not only are our lives going to be blessed, but we are going to be a blessing to every single person around us, and no more so a blessing than to people who are in our very own family. We're in a, a series right now called All in the Family. We're talking about how to have better relationships with family members. Last week, Lisa and I talked about marriage. This time, I want to talk about how to have courageous conversations. Now, it's interesting, in the times we're living in with this coronavirus, uh, even the libraries are shut down, but when they open up again, you're going to walk in and you can see this sign. It says, the post-apocalyptical fiction section has now been moved to current affairs. <laughs> Uh, also, there's some other comments that people have about the times we're living in. One of them is uh, an observation. I, I didn't like my beard at all. This guy's growing a beard at home. I didn't like my beard at first, but then it grew on me. Then there's another person that said, I stayed up all night to see where the sun went. And you know what? It finally dawned on me. And then finally, this is funny because this is, this is like, uh, you can't go to the dentist right now. You can't go to the manicurist. But if those two people, if a dentist and a manicurist married, there's the trouble. They're going to fight tooth and nail. Wow. All right. Well, enough of the corny jokes. Let's get right into today's message, how to have courageous conversations. Now, what is a courageous conversation? Um, uh, what does it look like? A courageous conversation is one that is difficult, one that you don't look forward to say, oh, I can't wait to start this kind of a conversation because it's been difficult in the past. Maybe this kind of conversation has led to an argument or it's led to a fight and you want to avoid that, but you still need to have that kind of conversation. Now, wouldn't it be easier if you're like me, you remember when we went through our conflict styles and, and which is your favorite way of handling conflict? Mine was no conflict. Why? Because I avoid it. I just run the other way. So wouldn't it be easier just to not say anything and avoid it? Well, you can delay the problem, but it doesn't solve the problem. And eventually the problem just is like a snowball. It grows bigger and bigger. And eventually you're going to need to deal with it anyway. So you need to have that conversation that you think the problem will go away, but it really won't. So they don't go away simply because you ignore them or you won't talk about them. You need to muster the courage to have that courageous conversation. In fact, you need to pray about it. You need to say, God, please help me speak the truth in love. Please help me to say the right things. 
Please help the result of this difficult conversation be that our relationship grows closer together with a friend or with a loved one. Amen? All right. Remember, when we're talking about conversations, you're using words, and words are powerful. Whoever said that uh, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me, hurt me. I remember uh, saying that growing up. I remember thinking it growing up. But the reality is it is not true at all. In fact, the book of wisdom in the Bible, the book of Proverbs, says it very clearly. It says the tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat of its fruit. Wow, can you imagine saying, uh, Solomon, the greatest, the wisest man who ever lived, he said that the tongue has the power of life and death. Your words are powerful. Um, well, here's the problem in trying to have courageous conversations. Why do we find that communication is so hard? There's at least three reasons why communication is so hard. The first reason is unmet expectations. I expect our future to be different. If you remember church last week, we showed you that video of that young couple and they were getting ready to say their marriage vows each other on their wedding day and they had all those thoughts going through their head, all those expectations of how they thought the marriage relationship was gonna be and then the reality was the expectations <clears throat> don't quite turn out that way. So there's unmet expectations. Look what it says in Proverbs 13, 12. It says, hope deferred. When your hopes are not met, when your expectations don't come to pass, hope deferred makes the heart sick. But a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. Well, there is also another reason why we find communication so hard, and that is a lot of times you and I are fighting fatigue. I don't know if you feel more energized or more tired being at shelter in place and in this coronavirus pandemic, but I, I'll speak for myself. I feel more tired. I feel like I'm trying to learn uh, a brand new job of how to do church and how to minister to people online with social media and all those platforms, as well as do my regular job as a pastor. And that just makes me tired. And when you're tired, you don't, you don't have the energy or you don't feel like you have the energy. Oh, I need to speak the truth in love. Oh, I need to return a blessing for an insult. Oh, I need to be kind to one another, tender-hearted and forgiving each other. All that stuff, when you're tired and fatigued, yeah, I've heard somebody say one time, fatigue makes cowards of us all. We don't even, we don't have the energy to be, to, to be right and behave right. So I'm tired of having the same argument. Nothing changes. Boy, there's a pessimistic author in the, New, in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew scriptures, uh, the author of Ecclesiastes. And he says these words, all things are wearisome. More than one can say, the eye has never enough of seeing, nor the ear has its fill of hearing. What has been will be, will be again. What has been done will be done again. And there's nothing new under the sun. Wow, no matter how hard I try, if I have a difficult conversation and it goes south, my, my, in my mind I have this fear, it's just gonna go that way again and I can't change it, so I might as well not even bring it up. Fatigue will do that to us, won't it? Fatigue did that to a great prophet in the Old Testament. His name was Elijah. In 1 Kings 19, Elijah is on the run. And you would, you would, you would say, why would a great God, spirit-filled prophet, fiery guy like Elijah, why would he ever be on the run from anybody? 
If you read what Elijah did in 1 Kings 17 and 18, he prayed and God stopped the rain in Israel for three and a half years. He confronts the king Ahab and all the false prophets of Baal on the top of Mount Carmel. Lisa and I, we were there in November on our trip to Israel. It was such a great place. And you look out over the valley of Megiddo and you're up on that mountain, you're going, wow, fire came down from heaven on this mountain. Elijah was, was fighting those prophets of Baal and he said, whoever's God is God, let's have a contest. You call on your God, Baal, and if he answers you, then he's God. If I call on my God, Yahweh, and Yahweh answers, then he is God. And all the people said, let's do it. So Elijah has this great victory, calls on God. God, God brings down fire from heaven. Then uh, after that great spiritual victory, Elijah goes up on the hill and he prays and he says, God, please bring the rain back. And he sends his servant Gehazi out multiple times saying, uh, would you please uh, tell me if there's any clouds for me? And finally, on the seventh or eighth time, the, the servant comes back and he says, there's a small wisp of cloud up there. And, 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 he, and then Elijah runs and goes, tells King Ahab, he says, Ahab, you better get in your chariot and start uh, driving back toward Jezreel because there's going to be a flood from all the rain that's coming in a short amount of time. And guess what? There was. You would think that after an awesome spiritual victory like that, that, that nothing could knock Elijah off his game, that he'd be walking tall and he'd be walking strong and be strong in the Lord and the power of his might and all that. But he got one threatening note from Queen Jezebel. And that one threatening note, it put, took him from a time of great spiritual victory to a time of fear and dejection and discouragement and despair. And he ran away. He ran all the way into the desert. And then he said these words. He said he was afraid. He ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he went himself an extra day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom brush, he sat down under it, and he prayed that he might die. Have you ever been so despondent and so down that you just said, Lord, I don't even wanna go on living anymore? A lot of us don't like to admit that, but in troubled times and when we're fatigued and we're facing opposition all the time, it, it, it will take a, the courage out of a lot of people. It certainly did Elijah. And he said, I've had enough, Lord. He said, take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. And then he laid down under the bush and he fell asleep. Well, fatigue can do that. There's, there's one other reason why uh, courageous conversations are difficult to have, why we shy away. And that is because we may either be afraid of saying weaponized words, or we might even be afraid of hearing weaponized words. Because Remember what the Proverbs 12, 18 says, the, the tongue has the power of life and death, right? Look at this in, in Proverbs 12, 18. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts. Have you ever felt stabbed by somebody? You know, whether in the front or the back by the, by the very words that they said, they can be like sword thrusts. But if you speak wise words, if you speak words that the Spirit of God gives you to say, speaking words of truth spoken in love, then those kind of words can bring healing, all right? So here's the solution. We talked about why we couldn't, what keeps us from having great conversations. Uh, now let's talk about the solution. How can we create conversations where we can actually start talking again, even through some difficult things? There are two Proverbs I wanna to bring to your attention. The first one is Proverbs 25:11. Do you know that I took Spanish all the way through high school? 
And my Spanish teacher, my senior year, she actually gave me this book. It was a book of poetry. Now, I don't know how many high school teachers give their students a book, but we had a fairly close relationship because my sophomore, junior, and senior year, I had taken Spanish three, four, and five, and I was one of her good students. Spanish was something that I excelled in. So she gave me this book, and on the cover of the book, it had this verse on there. I didn't even know it was from the Bible, really, at the time. But she said that it, it says right here, like apples of gold and settings of silver is a word spoken in right circumstances. Wow, you speak the right words at the right time. They're like an apple of gold and a setting of silver, just beautifully placed. Proverbs 16 says, gracious words are like a honeycomb. Anybody like sweets? <laughs> I know my wife does. I know I do. Uh, I will go have sweets anytime she says, uh, let's do it. I've, I've, I've said, I've got my car keys right here. So gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the bones. Have you ever thought about that? You can get healthier with laughter. You can get healthier by uh, telling jokes and sharing uh, fun times together. I mean, I think that's it's amazing uh, to be able to do that. So what, the first way that you can and I can reboot our communication is this. Number one, in order to even start a good conversation, number one, we need to earn their attention. If you have hurt somebody and your words were like sword thrusts rather than words like honeycomb, remember the power of death and life is in the tongue. If your words were harmful, it's going to be really hard to get somebody's attention again. Maybe they don't want to hear you. I don't want to hear what, I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to have, I don't want to listen to anything you have to say. You ever, you ever heard that back at you? So you have to earn their attention. Some of us sometimes, you know, we're like a bull in a china closet. I want to talk to you. I want to talk to you right now. And the person's like, no, you haven't earned my attention. You're demanding it and you've hurt me and that's why I'm not going to give you my attention. So we need to earn people's attention. That's an important first step. The second step is we need to plan tasks that lead to talking. Do you realize that there are better, uh, you guys know this, if you're married or you're with family members, there are better times of day to have a, a, a good conversation. There are better occasions and circumstances to have good conversations. If my wife wants to have a good deep conversation with me, I'll tell you exactly when not to bring it up. After nine o'clock at night, after, when we're getting ready to go to bed or we're watching a show and I've had a full day and my mind just wants to, you ever just want to veg out on the, on the sofa and unplug and just start you know, getting ready to go to sleep that night. Uh, if she says, Jim, I really want to talk about something right now, my eye, I, have to, I have to consciously keep my eyes from rolling and I have to take a deep breath and say, okay. But she knows, she knows that that's not the best time to have a conversation. There are, there are passions and in interests that people you care about that they have. And if you can find them in those rhythms, you can find a place to have a better conversation. What about if you're dining together? Like you go out for a lunch or dinner or breakfast. At, right after you order your food, that's probably a great time to start a, a good conversation. How about when you're driving? You know the beauty of driving together, especially if you're going on a long trip together, is you have time. 
You can turn off the radio. You can turn off your, po your podcast. Lisa loves times like that to talk in the car. We've had some of our greatest family conversations as we're all in the car together. We used to have the Chevy Venture minivan and we'd go back and forth from Orange County to Sacramento to see family and we would have some awesome conversations with family while we were driving. Maybe you want to go get frozen yogurt whenever that opens up again. Lord, please let it open up soon. Uh, maybe going for a walk together. The, the thing I will say for me is if I'm having a difficult conversation, sometimes it's hard for me to look the person right in the eye because i Maybe in my background or whatever, I just see it as sort of confrontational when you're looking at it right in the eye and going, let's talk. And it's almost like, make my day, you know, Clint Eastwood. So it's, I don't want to be like that. So if you're driving, then you're both looking ahead. If you're walking, you're both looking ahead. You can have some amazing conversations while you're doing stuff like that. So there are um, plan for tasks that can lead to a time where you can talk together. Three, we, we just said this already, but make laughter a serious goal. Doesn't that sound ironic? Make laughter a serious goal. Laughter is serious business because laughter is really good for us. A joyful heart is good like a medicine. It says right there in Proverbs, it is enjoyable. Look what scientists, I mean, they're there, there's probably pages that I could read to you about the benefits of laughter in the human health and body. It says scientists have linked together the healthy function of blood vessels. In other words, when you laugh, it helps your blood vessels, something uh, that can lower your chance of a heart attack. Laughter can boost your heart rate. That Laughter can boost the production of antibodies. Does anybody need the production of antibodies in the coronavirus pandemic? Does anybody need a healthier immune system? Then let's laugh more. Let's figure out how to laugh together, right? And that can strengthen your immune system. So part of the, uh, another way to have good communication, let's laugh. Let's don't be down and serious and somber town all the time, right? Another way to reboot communication is to keep asking questions of each other. Sometimes people get into this thing, I've got something to say and I want to say it and I just don't want you to interrupt me. Well, it may or may not be a good conversation, but if you're having trouble communicate with somebody and you want to get that person to open up, asking a well-timed, sincere, curious question can really make a difference. Like you could say, I'm curious, you know, what do you believe about this or what do you think of that? How do you think we're going to get out of this virus? Uh, when do you think the parks are going to open up? Boy, I was hoping for this weekend. <laughs> but having conversations of things you can talk about. Um, this, is, this is really, this one takes a lot of courage. And, and, but if you have the courage and you really want to get better in your relationship, you'll be willing to ask this question. You say, so, so tell me, when I do this or when I say that, how does that make you feel? And then you have to be courageous enough to sit there and take it and listen to it and say, I'm not going to get defensive. I'm not going to get my hackles up. I'm not going to try to think of the next thing I say to counter that argument. I'm just going to listen and take it. Because when you do, you will learn some truth and you'll give a lot of grace to the other person. And they, they will see that you care about them enough to know that, hey, you know what? I'm not perfect and I've got a lot of flaws and I need to get better and I need to change and I'm actually inviting you to help me get better and change. Uh, number five, when in doubt, say something encouraging. If I'm talking to Lisa, I want to say how, how good her hair looks. 
I want to say how pretty she is. I want to say I love that outfit. I want to say that uh, how well she teaches, how well she communicates. I want to talk about how encouraging she is. When I hear her on her Zoom uh, meetings with the, the ladies and in meetings like that, and I just hear how vivacious and spirit-filled and encouraging she is, it just totally upslift me. Uh, and, and I need to communicate that to her. So if you see somebody doing good, encourage them in that. Do, do you realize that whatever you reinforce, that's what gets repeated, right? So reinforce all the good things. Point out the good things. Catch them doing something good and point it out, and they're going to be encouraged, right? There's no such thing. And by the way, this is for the, the people who say, well, you know, my job is to correct the other person. My job is to... Is to look for faults and flaws in the other person and try to bring those to their attention so they'll get better. Uh, you realize that in the New Testament, and you can read all through the New Testament, there's many places in spiritual gifts that are talked about. There's Ephesians 4, 1 Corinthians 12, Romans chapter 12, but I've looked through and I've read about all the different spiritual gifts and guess what? There is no such thing as a spiritual gift of criticism. There's no such thing as a spiritual gift of discouragement. But you know what there is? There is a spiritual gift of encouragement. In fact, Barnabas. Barnabas is a great New Testament character in the book of Acts. He was known. He was called the son of encouragement. He was the model and the example of encouragement. When, when people saw Barnabas coming down the street toward them, they got excited. They got happy because they knew that it was going to be an uplifting time in a conversation. When people see you coming down the street, do they say, wow, I can't wait to talk to Jim? Or do they say, oh man, here comes Jim. What a downer. I don't want to, I don't want forget it. I'm just going to, I'm going to go the other way before he even sees me, right? So think about that. Are you an encourager or a discourager? You want to learn, you and I both, we need to learn how to say more encouraging things and not finding fault with people all the time. Find, that's not a virtue. Finding fault with somebody is not a virtue. It doesn't build them up and it doesn't make your relationship any better or closer. So as we're coming down the wire now, I want to talk to you about five conversations, five different kinds of conversations that actually build up relationships, right? In other words, what can you talk about that will strengthen your relationships with somebody that you care about? The first one I want to mention, you see it on the screen here, is share history. Shared history. Tell the story of us. Boy, if, if Lisa's family is good at anything, they are good about recalling and sharing family history. They love to bring up all the, all the times, the family times in the past. They talk about it, and I say, you guys know these stories backwards and forwards. Yes, but we love to share our family history together. So tell the story of us. Go back to the good times that you've shared together. Go back to some happy memories that you have, and what made, you know, those experiences that you shared that made you want to be with that other person, that made life enjoyable with that other person. Go back to the good times and share that, that kind of history. Number two is honor one another. The kind of conversations that honor one another. Express specifically what it is that you like and appreciate about that person. You know, when you see it, point it out. Sometimes I think, you know, we, we sin by omission as much as we sin by commission. Do you know what I mean by that? Sometimes we sin by the words that we say. Oh man, words can be... And they have the power of life and death. They can be like a sharp 
sword thrust into the other person when we put them down or we criticize them or we, we belittle them, we condemn them, we hold them in contempt. And people can sense that about you and the way you feel about them. So instead of doing that, go to the other side and let's honor one another. Let's find out something that you like and appreciate about that other person. Let's talk about values and standards. That's one way that you can find common ground with somebody is to say, is to say these are the things that I really value. These are the things in life that are important to me. What are, what are some of the things that are important to you? And, let, and, let's, and let's come to a common understanding about that. Number four, let's talk about differing ideas. Let's uh, facilitate discussion over debate. In other words, when you're going into a difficult conversation, don't just say, I know that, that within 30 seconds, this is going to turn from a civil conversation into a cat fight or a dog fight. You know? So I'm, I'm, you're already preparing yourself for it, right? Your, your fists, your, your hands are turning into fists. You've got tension. Your face is getting redder and redder. And instead of doing that, say, Lord, I want this to be a discussion, a a friendly conversation, a sharing of ideas, and Lord, let it not turn into an argument or a fight. Look what St. Francis of Assisi, you know, I, that was one of our great jokes in Chile, right? Because Assi in Spanish means like this big, right? And so uh, the joke was, what, which saint in the Catholic Church, which saint is the smallest of all the saints? And the answer is San Francisco de Assi. <laughs> if you speak Spanish, you probably thought that was funny. But he had, he had some great prayers, and, and one of his prayers was this. O divine master, talking to his God, he says, Grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console. Lord, grant that I, that I not so much be understood. Lord, grant that I'm able to understand. Lord, grant not so much that I am loved, but that I have the ability to love other people. Boy, that's a great attitude to go in when you know you're going to have to have a courageous conversation. So it says right here at the top, five conversations that lead to build up relationships. And I've only mentioned four to you. I saved the best one for last. And it's also the most difficult. So get ready. The last one of the conversations to build up relationships is a conversation where you decide in your will, you decide that you're going to practice humility. You're going to humble yourself before that person. You're going to, you're going to lead the conversation by owning up to your own mistakes. Everybody knows that nobody's perfect. But when it comes to admitting mistakes, boy, I think half the people out there think they are perfect because I'm one of them. I have a hard time admitting my mistakes. I try to do right every day of my life. I try to do what is right, say what is right, but I mess up all the time. Sometimes you mess up the most with the people you care most about, and that requires humility, right? So Peter tells us, that, tells us this in his letter. He says, all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because, and here's the, this is the, the truth about God, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. You know, I wanted to share with you a story, and it's not a proud moment in my life, but it happened just a few weeks ago. Um, I had a hard time admitting I was wrong. I had made a decision about something at our church, and it was a controversial decision. And I thought at the time I was doing the right thing. 
But here's one of those things you can, you can ask yourself too. If you think you're doing the right thing, why are you not willing to talk about it? Why are you not willing to share it? Why, are you, why do you want to keep it secret? And you know why? Because there's a part of you that knows if I bring this up or if I talk to the other person about it, they're going to point out why that decision is wrong or why they disagree with it. And you know me, avoid conflict. So how do I avoid conflict? I just don't talk about it. So I made a decision and I should have talked to Lisa about it and I didn't. And I, she found out about it in a, in a roundabout way when I didn't tell her, but she overheard a conversation. And then she said, so that was the decision you made, huh? And I said, yeah. And she said, didn't we talk about that? Didn't we decide you were going to do something different? And I said, yeah, uh, but I decided to do this. And instead of humbling myself, instead of saying, you know what? Yeah. In retrospect, I could have made a better decision. I'm, I was wrong. I am sorry. Please forgive me. You know, I love you. Remember the 12 magic <laughs> words of marriage? I was wrong. I am sorry. Please forgive me. I love you. You know, that's not, it's, that's not you know, junk science. That is actually a way to reconcile relationships. But when pride gets in there and humility goes out the window, and pride comes in, pride says, you don't apologize to anybody. You don't admit you're wrong for anything. In fact, you not only not admit that you're wrong, you go on the counter attack. And now instead of, instead of just defending your own position, you're now uh, turning your guns toward the other person and you're attacking them. And I ended up attacking, counter attacking Lisa on a totally different matter. It didn't matter at all, but I thought I was bringing up something that was appropriate in the moment and it was wrong. And it really hurt Lisa and our relationship went south for about two days. I had to come up to her later and I had to apologize and I had to humble myself. And I said, I was wrong. My pride got in the way. Humility has to rule in our lives. Humble yourself in the sight of God and he will lift you up. Look what it says right there in James. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. You know, when we humble ourselves before God, that's where we're in a position to receive all the blessings from God. You know that? That's how we enter the Christian life. You cannot enter the Christian life. You cannot become a follower of Jesus without humbling yourself. Mother Teresa says this. It says, if you want to change the world, go home and love your family. Go home and demonstrate humility to your family. Go home and do the right thing. Always remember this, God and his sovereignty, you know, he put you together. He knit you in your mother's womb and he put you together as a family. He has put your family together the way uh, he wants it in his sovereignty and your conversational choices. In other words, what you choose to say and how you say it, what you choose not to say when you should say something right, they can be, you can be equally guilty of both. Your conversational choices matter and they will echo for generations. Every choice you make about the words you say each day, they matter. Not just to yourself, but to all the ones you care about around you. Talked about humility and the need we, need, we have to humble ourselves before God, right? That's how the Christian life starts. You know, Jesus doesn't say, hey, read my words and consider them. Jesus doesn't just say, hey, check out my life and see if there's anything that you think is admirable. I mean, all those things are good. But the main thing that Jesus says to anyone who would be his disciple is he says these words, follow me. 
Follow me means we have to leave something behind and start aiming toward following Christ. We have to leave behind our pride. We have to leave behind our self-sufficiency. We have to leave behind this attitude of, you know what? I'm, I've got this God. I'm gonna live my life the way I want to according to my values. And when I get, when I get before you, I think you're just gonna say, you know, you did the best you could, you're a-okay. The Bible doesn't say that about our spiritual lives at all. The Bible says that we are all sinners. We are all in need of a savior. We've all disappointed God. We've all made wrong choices and done wrong things that we regret. And instead of being in a place where we're not in a right relationship with God, God sent Jesus to take the penalty for our sins. And when Jesus died on the cross, he paid for every wrongdoing that you and I ever did. And he says, I want you to turn in humility, turn away from your sin, turn away from your independence, come back to me and follow me. And when we do that, he promises to come into our lives. So what are the ABCs of getting right with God? How do you respond to God and his invitation to follow me? Number one, we have to admit our need. We have to say, Jesus, I need you. I need you in my life. Secondly, we need to believe Jesus' message. He says that God so loved the world, he sent his only son, Jesus. Whoever believes in Jesus would not perish. That person would have eternal life. You need to believe that message because those are the words of Jesus. And then finally, you need to commit your life to him. It's what it says right there in John's gospel, chapter one. He says, to all who received him, to all who received Jesus, to those who believed in his name, Jesus gave the right to become children of God. You can become a child of God by receiving Christ. And you know what? I wanna give you that opportunity to do that right now. If you're ready, if you say, Jesus, I'm ready to turn to you right now, I'm putting away my pride, I'm humbling myself before you, and I'm ready to receive you, let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your promise that you said, if anyone turns to me, if anyone would come after me, then you would come into his life, you would dine with him, you would be a savior and his Lord. And so Lord Jesus, I'm coming to you today and I'm saying, Lord, please forgive me for all the wrong things that I've done. Lord, I receive you into my heart. I commit myself to follow you. And I'm taking you at your promise, Lord Jesus, because you said, if I would do that, if anyone would confess with their mouth, Jesus is Lord, believe in their heart that God raised him from the dead, you say that person will be saved. I'm doing that today, Lord. I'm committing myself to follow you. Lord, please show me what it means to be a, a follower of Jesus all the rest of the, of the days of my life. Help me to grow in my faith. Help me to grow in my understanding of who you are and what a wonderful savior you can be to me. Thank you, Lord, for coming into my heart. I love you and I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. You know what? I hope you prayed that prayer. If you did, we have some next steps. Our church is here to help you. We actually have a physical location in our church. So once you, uh, you know, we're done watching online church, there's a phone number you can call. There's a website you can go to. There are email addresses that you can contact us and say, hey, I made this decision to follow Jesus. 